Let's hear the word of God today. I'm reading from the first chapter of the prophecy of Zechariah. I'm going to read together the first six verses. They'll come up on the screen. But we would encourage you to get your own copy of the Bible and not only hear the words and not only see them, but have opportunity perhaps uh, to mark your own copy of the Scriptures. Reading, of course, from the authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, the Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, Unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from chapter 1 of Zechariah. It reads as follows in verses 2 and 3, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. My theme today is entitled, Discovering the Answer to God's Displeasure. Let me begin my message with a question. Can God be displeased with us? Is it possible that the living and the true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who is sovereign in the affairs of men, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is he ever displeased with his people who profess his name? I believe the answer is simple. I believe it's clear and plain. The answer is yes. At times he is. Do you want proof? Look at Zechariah chapter 1 verse 2. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. See, I have no doubt that this was a shock and surprise to the people that Zechariah was preaching to. I have no doubt that they were listening to him and they were thinking, that doesn't apply to me. Perhaps you're thinking that very thought this morning. You've just heard the Lord's prophet preach in the Lord's name. And what does he say? Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, 
and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. And you're thinking, but that doesn't apply to me. I'm a Christian, or I'm a professing Christian. I'm not in the category of those that are cold and backslidden. I voice my allegiance to the Lord and to the cause. I worship on the Lord's day, even though I can't do it publicly as in the usual manner, but I'm uh, worshiping the Lord online. You, you think of the people to whom Zechariah was ministering. You see, they were part of 50,000 Jews who made the difficult decision to return from Babylonian captivity in the year 536 BC. And during that year, the remnant returned with the decree, remember, from Cyrus. They were led by Ezra the scribe to begin what? The rebuilding of the house of God in Jerusalem. You can read all about it in the book of Ezra. However, shortly into the building program, opposition arose. The zeal of the people abated, and the work sadly ceased. There was a problem arose in the hearts and minds of the people. Fear took hold upon them, and the work ceased for 16 whole years. And during this time, the people got caught up with their business life. They got caught up with domestic affairs, building their own houses, making money, paneling them with cedar. And sadly and sinfully, the house of the Lord was neglected. And they said among themselves, the time is not right to build the Lord's house. The Lord raised up a prophet called Haggai. And he asked him this question, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste. A reference to the house of the Lord. And two months later, the Lord raised up and sent forth another prophet with another message. And that message was the prophet Zechariah. You've got to think of the period of act. Er, Zechariah's ministry. We're told in verse 1, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. That's significant. It pinpoints the exact period. It pinpoints the exact time frame. And of course, that ties in with this exact a project that was neglected by this remnant of people, uh, namely the rebuilding of a house for God. Haggai and Zechariah wanted to emphasize to these Jews that the worship and the witness and the work of God must be first. These 50,000 Jews had returned to a devastated country they had many hostile neighbors, and they were sent on a rebuilding program. And here's Zechariah, and he's directing the people to discover the answer to God's displeasure. Now, Zechariah is a young man. He's not an old man with a white beard and long hair and ready for the grave. He's about 17 years of age, maybe 20. How do I know that? It says in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 4. Listen to these words, Zechariah 2, verse 4. And said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, 
Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and the cattle therein. Zechariah is not only a young man, but he's known as a prophet of hope and encouragement. His whole prophecy is filled with encouragement. He unashamedly proclaims that the Lord always keeps his covenant promise to his people. It's interesting that in the New Testament, there are some 41 direct quotations and indirect citations from the book of Zechariah. The first eight chapters are dated. Chapters 9 to 14 are not dated. The first six chapters contain eight night visions. And what are they teaching? They're teaching that God is at work on behalf of his people, that God is always at work on behalf of his people, that God is holy, that God is just, that God is good, that God is true, that God always deals with sin, and that God always brings the heathen into judgment, and God always chastises his own people. Not only was this a young man with a particular message of hope and encouragement for God's people, But I want you to think of Zechariah because his name means one whom the Lord remembers. You see, the Lord had Zechariah in his thoughts. His father's name was Berechiah, and it means one whom the Lord blesses. And his grandfather, Iddo the prophet, one whom the Lord appoints. So let's think of a summary here. God raised up a young Zechariah, to proclaim a message of hope and encouragement to his chosen people in order that the Lord could bless them, that the Lord would do them good in an appointed time. So so he comes amongst them in the significant period, the second year of Darius's reign. Remember, he has taken over. The Medes and Persians are now in power. And he's, it's in the eighth month of that second year. And this is what Zechariah says. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. That's his appeal to them. Surely this applies to us today. Is not the United Kingdom as a country and the true church of Jesus Christ Is it not experiencing God's displeasure at this time? Think of the evil in our society. Think of the explosion of godlessness. Many have no fear, thought, and regard for God or the things of God. Atheism is alive and well, spouting out the nonsense. There is no God. Just like in the psalmist day, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. There's been an explosion of lawlessness. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. Is this not a day of apostasy? Is there not a great falling away from the fundamentals of the faith? Is there not a lack of knowledge of who God is? Is there not a lack of understanding what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? Is this not a day of apathy? A day of hostility to the true gospel? Has not the family unit generally broken down? Has the state, the Westminster government, not set to redefine marriage? Has the state not promoted 
the sin of sodomy? Has the state not advocated and legislated for abortion on demand? Is the state not behind the rise and the push of transgenderism? Has there not been hate laws introduced to dampen down the enthusiasm even of the Lord's cause and his people? You see, many are discouraged. Many are distressed. Many are at the point of despair, just like they were in Haggai's day, in Zechariah's day. And they were asking the question, how can we be faithful to God? How can we carry on? We feel the best thing to do is to quit the work of God and just go about our business, build our houses, make money, marry, and, and, and carry on, in a sense, without a close living relationship to the Lord. So here's young Zechariah, and the Lord has raised him up at this time, and he's writing to a discouraged people, a dispirited people. And Haggai has called them to restart the building work. And now it's only two months after that call. And, and there's been a 16-year lapse. And now they've restarted the bill. But they're discouraged once again. And here's what the Lord wants to say to them. And this is what he says. At its heart, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. That's discovering the answer to God's displeasure. Notice four things this morning. The reality of God's displeasure. I want you to think of these words. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Two parties here. God and the people. Both parties had experienced a change. A change has taken place in the Lord's relationship to his people, and a change has taken place in the people's relationship to the Lord. Turn ye unto me. Why? Because ye have turned away from me, and I will turn unto you. Why? Because the Lord had turned away from them. The Lord had withdrawn. Think of the Lord. Where was he? Well, it's important, of course, to realize the Lord is sovereign. He's always on the throne. He never advocates that throne. Yet something has happened. The Lord is not where he ought to be. It is true that he's always in the midst of his people. We believe in the doctrine of his omnipresence. Yet the Lord has deliberately, I believe, withdrew himself. The Lord is withholding that gracious sense of his presence, his power and provision. In other words, the Lord has left the people to their own devices to their building enterprise, to their business enterprises. He used to be with them in power and blessing, but now he's largely withdrawn himself. Of course, it's true in an ultimate sense that he never totally abandons his people. Here's a question that's asked by the Apostle Paul. It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall. And he mentions a whole list of things. And then he adds this in verse 39. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ our Lord. Romans 8 and 35 to 39. 
We, we think of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. God's promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, while that is true in the ultimate sense that the Lord never abandons his people, the Lord can and does withdraw from his people at certain times. How do I know that? Well, over there in the prophecy of Hosea, the Lord said, I will go, Hosea 5 and 15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. And the Lord withdraws and withholds the sense of his presence and power, especially when he's sore displaced. Isn't this what Zechariah was saying? The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Think of these words. It means that the Lord has withdrawn himself. That the Lord is withholding the outworking of his presence, his power and provision. Now this is real. This is a grave situation. And you must feel the reality of that situation. You must feel the gravity of it. If the Lord is withdrawn, what does it actually mean? It means that the Lord has withdrawn the sense of his presence and power from the country and from the church. It means that the Lord is withholding the light of his countenance, the shining of his face. There's a loss of light, the light of the Lord. There's a loss of life, the life of God. There's a loss of love. We've lost the sense of his tender mercies, his loving kindness, his gracious favor. We've lost the joy of the Lord. We've lost the sense of his nearness. We've lost the outworking of his power. And we're left in darkness, confusion. You see, Zechariah discovered through his prophecy that something is missing. In the life and witness of the country. And what was true in ancient Israel is true of us. The Lord says, I will turn unto you. Why? Because the Lord has turned from us. Think of us today. Think of our United Kingdom. Think of our wee province of Northern Ireland. Something is missing. Or maybe we could say better, someone is missing. Who? The Lord himself. The Lord has absent himself, withholding his presence and his power. The Lord has withdrawn himself to his place. And are we anxious? Are we concerned? Are we upset and troubled about the reality and gravity of this situation? You see, the Lord not only removes the light of his presence, but the Lord reprimands the law by his precept. What does he do? He sends a judgment. Listen to Haggai. In Haggai chapter 1, it says, You looked for much, and though it came to little, in verse 9, And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, Because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man to his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. 
And I call for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. Is that not the Lord sending an affliction? The Lord bringing about a chastisement? The Lord calling for a judgment? And what he did for his covenant people in the land of Israel. And you can only read about these national calamities that came that were really wake-up calls from the Lord. And yet the sad reality is the people were not listening to the Lord. They were not loving him. They were not leaning upon him. And I want to draw a parallel this morning. Think of our United Kingdom. Something is missing from the life and witness of the nation. And what is it? It's, it's more than something. It's someone. It's the Lord himself. The Lord withdrawing himself. The Lord withholding his presence, his power and provision. We live in a day when there's an emphasis on health. Being safe and well. An emphasis on wealth. Looking after oneself. Me first generation. A spirit of covetousness is all the rage. Men doing that which is right in their own eyes. A spirit of carelessness. And the vast reality is that many, even in the house of God, many in the pulpits of the land, many sitting in the pew, struggle to face up to the reality and the gravity of this situation. We're in a spiritual cycle now. The tide is out spiritually. We have lost the days of the right hand of the Most High. In Northern Ireland in 1625, 1859, in the 1920s, God sent revival. I, I think of the revival blessing that was poured out in the 60s and 70s when God raised up this free Presbyterian church through our late moderator, the, the Dr. Ian Paisley. I, I think of this, the 70th anniversary of the raising up of the Free Presbyterian Church. I think of the centenary of our wee country, Northern Ireland's 100 years old this year, and we can't pretend that all is well. We can't fail to see that we're living in dark times, that perilous days are come, and the work of God is impacted. And I understand the state of despair. But I want you to realize that this is a real grave situation. And here's the reality of the Lord's displeasure. It's real, it's grave. Let me think something else here. Let's think of the reason for the Lord's displeasure. We're not at a loss here to discover what the reason is. It's one thing. I could sum it up in one word, a three-letter word, and that word is sin. You see, it's always sin. In the thousand and one shapes and forms that sin can be analyzed in, when it boils down to this, it is sin that causes the Lord to withhold himself and the Lord to withdraw himself. Over there in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 59, this is what the prophet said, Isaiah 59 and verse 2. He says this, listen to the word of God. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. 
You see, our turning away from the Lord has caused him, has led him to turn away from us. And what was it that displeased the Lord here during the ministry of Zechariah? What were the people guilty of? What was their chief sin? Well, let me put it like this. They failed to put the Lord first. The Lord ought to have been at the center of the life and witness of this returning remnant. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Their primary concern, the mission that they were sent from Babylon to do, was to start the rebuilding of the house of the Lord. They were to focus on the worship and the witness and the work of God. Yes, there was opposition. How do I know there was opposition? Over there in the book of Ezra, and in uh, Ezra uh, uh, chapter 4, we uh, c- come across the words there in uh, Ezra 4, uh, something that's uh, interesting. Um, it has to do with the fact, it says in Ezra 4 and 4, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. It says in verse 24 of the same chapter, then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Do you see the connection there? Ezra 4 and 24. Not only did the work cease, but ceased for 16 whole years. How should they have responded to that opposition? They should have had a prayer meeting. They should have said, but we're men and women of faith, we'll trust the Lord. They, they should have been vigilant. They should have carried on with the work. See, why did the work cease? Because they became obsessed with their own dwellings. That became the passion of their heart. They were obsessed with money. They were obsessed with their business. And I want to tell you this morning that that same tendency, that same passion is in all of us. We can be guilty of having an idol. We can be guilty of being covetous and worldly. We can have a lust for things. And we become careless about the things of God. I remember when these people were in Babylon captivity, they they were singing about Jerusalem. Lest I forget Jerusalem. Uh, Can I forget? Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. And you see, in their minds, the cause of God was first and foremost. But when they got into the land and there was opposition, what did they say? The time's not right. Let's wait. Let's negotiate. Let's have good relations with our unfriendly neighbors. They intended to their own interests first. You see, the people moved away off center. They were turning from the Lord. And they became spiritually cold and careless and covetous. They left off the work of God. And is it any wonder they became disillusioned then and disappointed at the point of despair? Think of it now. Sixteen years on. And God's people entered by an enemy. So much so that they lost their zeal for the work. So much so that they had a total disregard for the word of God. It's as if the word of God doesn't matter. Now they're doing their own thing all that time. And here's the question of questions. Is the Lord at the very center of our hearts and lives? Not first. 
Not second or third, but central. And you see, so often we put our interests first before the Lord's. I know we have to go about work. I know we need some leisure time. But but let's not always consume the time with watching the television or playing with our phones, young people, or, or reading the magazines. Here's why the Lord had turned from them, why the Lord was sore displeased with their fathers in the first place, and in danger of being sore displeased with them. There was a failure to put the Lord first. If you examine the scriptures, there's 24 references to the word displeasure in the Bible. Here's another fact of why the Lord was displeased. The fact of a murmuring spirit among them. Over there in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1, that says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. This was a terrible sin, a sign of an evil heart of unbelief. A sin that doubted God's wisdom and love, doubted his power, his promises, his providence. A sin that robbed them of much blessing. I want to say this morning that murmuring is a sin. Complaining constantly is all wrong. It questions the wisdom and the love and the care of God. And was not the very thing that the Apostle Paul took up? Didn't he use this as an example Over there in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says in verse 10, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. We're not told what the murmuring was about. Murmuring and complaining can be about a thousand and one things. What's the Apostle Paul's advice? Don't complain. Go and cry to the Lord. Take it all to him in prayer. Remember what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Here's another reason for the Lord's displeasure. There was a fondness for hidden sin. Isn't this what happened over there in 2 Samuel? Think of King David. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And in the verse 27, we read there these words about King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. He says this in verse 7. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. She became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Can you underline that? David's sin with Bathsheba, all the outworking of it, his lust, his lies, his lewdness, trying to get Uriah drunk, his involvement in the murder, it displeased the Lord. Also, here's another thing that displeased the Lord. There was a forsaking of the law of redemption. I I think back to that time when when David uh, sought to uh, number the people. And it says there in uh, First uh, Chronicles uh, and in chapter 21 and in the verse uh, 7. Listen to the word of the Lord. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he smote Israel. David numbering the people. Even Joab knew it was wrong and sinful. He knew that it was pride that was motivating David. He knew that the devil was at the back of it. Why? Because they were doing it without the half shekel of redemption. 
And, and of course, it was forsaking the law of redemption. 24 references to the Lord's displeasure in the Bible. Oh, that we could realize the reason for it. The reason is sin. And all the outworking of it. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm uh, 60 and in the verse 1. O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displaced. O turn thyself to us again. I even think of Mark chapter 10 and verse 14. Was there not a failure among the disciples to include the children? Was the Lord Jesus not displeased? Is not what the word of God says in Mark chapter 10 and in the verse 14. Listen to the word of God, Mark 10. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For if such is the kingdom of God. Children are precious. Children can be saved. And here's the things that displease the Lord. And when you put it all together in a pot, the reason for God's displeasure is always sin. And I asked ourselves this morning, is there a failure in our part to put the Lord at the center of our lives? Is there the fact of a murmuring spirit that we're always complaining about things? Is there a fondness for hidden sin in our heart like there was in David? Has there been a forsaking of the law of redemption? That we're forgetting about God's redemptive purposes and power in our life. Are we failing to include the children in our work and witness for God? I want you to think thirdly this morning. The result of God's displeasure. Think of these words. Turn ye unto me. Why? Because they've turned away from the Lord. You see, here's the call of God to every sinner in relation to conversion. Turning to God is necessary because of his wrath against all sinners. Zechariah, as I've said, was a messenger of hope and encouragement. But what did he mention first? He mentioned God's displeasure. He was really mentioning God's fierce anger and his displeasure towards sinners. I think of his reference there, your fathers, previous generation. But it also could be an address to the young people. Remember, he's a young man. Your fathers, your fathers in the flesh. I think of the intensity of the Hebrew here. It says here, the Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. The word displeased means the Lord's angry. And the word sore displeased means he was anger with anger. In other words, he, he, he was enraged. And then you've got the word here, displeased again. Full of wrath. Full of anger. Think of God. Now does your thought about God, a God of wrath who hates sin, fit into your picture of him? You see, today the emphasis is lopsided. God is love. We're told today that God hates the sin and loves the sinner. But what does that mean? It's as if the sinner will never be exposed to or experience the wrath of God. And that is wrong. Because yes, God hates the sin. 
But God will punish the sinner, the unrepentant sinner, who lives and dies in his sin. So these words, turn ye unto me, are really God's call to the sinner for conversion. Doesn't this tie into the book of Ezekiel? Remember what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel um, chapter 33 and in the verse 11. Listen to the word of God. Ezekiel 33 and verse 11. Let's hear the Lord's words. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? And if we go back there in the prophecy of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55, remember what Isaiah called for. In Isaiah 55 and verse 6, he says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And think of these words in Acts 11, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. This is Antioch. A number of lay preachers had come preaching the gospel. And a great number believed, we read, and turned unto the Lord. You see, this call to conversion implies of turning away from him, of going on in an evil course of life, of departing from the living and the true God. You think of the prodigal and how he departed from his house because of an evil heart of unbelief. And yet the wonderful message of the Bible is this, that God is full of love. He's merciful to every penitent sinner. Remember, in his holiness, he cannot and does not wink at sin. He doesn't treat it lightly. He calls out, repent ye and be converted. That's what the word turn means. It means to return. It means to repent. One of the old divines said of Zechariah chapter 1 verse 2, the warnings of divine wrath is a prerequisite to the acceptance of divine grace. I wonder this morning, if you're out of Christ, do you sense the seriousness of your danger? I think of John chapter 3 and verse 36. Listen to these words. John 3 and 36. Let's hear the word of God. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth in him. Think of that word believeth. Present continuous tense. I have believed. I am believing. And I'll keep on believing. Do you sense the seriousness of your danger? That out of Christ you're under the wrath of God. And if you seize the offer of being delivered. Let me give this illustration. It was told by Ray Comfort. I want you to think of a flight from, say, London to uh, Miami. And the stewardess says to one of the passengers, Sir, would you please put on your parachute? You'll be more comfortable with it on. Now, the parachute is very heavy. It's uncomfortable. Chaffs the neck. You can't really sit back. This man was conscious that others were laughing at him. And he was thinking, well, this thing's a nuisance. However, shortly into the flight, a few hours, 
He changed his opinion. Why? Because the captain has announced that we've lost the power of all our engines. We're going to crash. We have to abandon the aircraft, put on your parachute. You're going to perish without it. And you see, if you sense the seriousness of God's wrath that hangs over your head, then you will cry out. And you will cry out, Lord, save me. I perish. This is a call to the sinner for conversion. But it's also the call of God to the sinner for consecration. Turn ye unto me. How? With all your heart and soul and mind and strength. I'm conscious here that the fathers had turned away from the Lord. And the life of the fathers had impacted greatly upon the life of the children. The young men, the young women. And, and you think of that not true today? How many young men and young women have abandoned the house of God and turned away from spiritual things and doing their own thing and going their own way? Has it been the influence and the impact of the life of the fathers upon them? And, and that's why we're not seeing the total commitment among the young people today that we once did. There's the reason for God's displeasure there's the result of God's displeasure but I want you to think of the remedy for God's displeasure we're really just getting to the heart of the message look at our text think of these words they're very important words what is the prophet saying he's saying this turn ye unto me saith the Lord of hosts and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, there's a command here. Turn ye as a command. In other words, return unto me. Repent before me and unto me. There's not only a command here, which I'll not develop, but there's a call here. There's a call for honesty. The individual who's turned away from the Lord must acknowledge their sin they must agree with the Lord what their sin is, and they must examine their own heart. There's a call for honesty. There's also a call here for humility. Turn from it unto me. Turn ye unto me. That is, turn from your sin unto the Lord Himself. And that ties into the whole gambit of the doctrine of initial repentance before God to, to enter into God's family repent ye and be converted but you see true and genuine repentance is not only an initial repentance it's a continual thing so that we can maintain fellowship with the life of the Lord it's the Lord himself that takes the initiative here three times the Lord of hosts is mentioned is that not a direct allusion to the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who is creator, the God who is redeemer, the God who is sanctifier. This God has made the first move. God in his sovereign authority on the basis of grace has come to the sinner through Zechariah. And the Zechariah, when he issues the call, turn unto me, knows that the sinner can't do it in his own strength or power. He needs the spirit of grace. He needs the spirit of supplication. 
He needs the spirit of humility to uh, get before the Lord and to seek to the Lord. Notice it's not turned to some religious duty. It's not turning to keeping the law. It's not turning to attending to the house of God on the Sabbath. No, it's turn unto me. You see, it has to do with a personal relationship. And it's not easy. It means the subduing of our hearts. It means the surrendering of our will. It means the satisfaction of our emotions and our being. Which is a call to honesty here. But there's also a call to heed. You see, what had happened was in the past, the people had refused to heed the fact that God had spoken and spoken through the prophets plainly and repeatedly. They refused to obey and refused to listen. That's what he's emphasizing here. Verse 4, Be ye not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear. Or hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Learn from the history of God's people in the past. Learn from your fathers. They were disobedient. They, they delayed in turning to me. They had a delusion that things would be okay and, and, and things wouldn't happen to them. And, 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 and I put them under discipline. You see, the fathers died. The prophets died. And he was emphasizing that opportunities that are passing are gone forever. And you have an opportunity today to get right with the Lord. You have an opportunity to repent, to, to, to return to him. And, and, and there was a discipline here because, you see, true repentance exonerates the Lord. True repentance accepts full responsibility for your own sin and consequences. And there's a recognition that the deafness is wrong. They heard, but they didn't heed. They hardened their hearts to the word of God. And that's the call here. This is the command, turn ye to me. And here's this call. It calls for honesty. It calls for humility. It calls so that it's heeded. I have heard God and I tremble. And also there's a comfort here. Listen to these words. I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? I will come to where you are. I will restore to you the sense of my conscious presence. I'll restore to you my power so that you'll be victorious and vibrant. I'll restore to you my provision so that you will go in my name and you'll do everything in my strength by my help. And my grace. There's the remedy for God's displeasure. Oh, I pray this morning that the Lord will give insight. Difficult as it is to bring this message. Let us discover God's answer to his displeasure. Sense the reality of it. It's real and grave. Understand the reason for it. It's sin. It's always sin. Let's not treat sin lightly. Let's repent of it and repudiate it before the Lord. Let's see the result of sin. It brings God's wrath. And God calls to the sinner for conversion and calls to his saints for total and honest consecration of heart and life. And here's the remedy. Let's obey God's command. Let, let's, let's hear this call. 
and heed it and be honest and humble ourselves and, 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 and heed the voice of God. And let's receive this comfort. We need the Lord to return. Isn't that what the psalmist prayed? Turn us to thyself. The psalmist prayed in Psalm 80, turn unto us three times. Cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. I put it to you this morning that that's the remedy for God's displeasure in the country and in the church. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for listening. And I pray that you'll be encouraged and strengthened by God's word.